0: What's up, Chapel? How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It is summertime, and my head, I've had to learn to get a lot of sunscreen on my head these days. So it's a hard life to live. But hey, we are starting a new series that was walking us through chapter 10 of the book of John. We're going to be in John 10 this morning. And we say, why are we starting this new series? It's because two things. One, I believe hearing God's voice is the most empowering and beneficial thing to the believer there can be. Two, we're in prophetic presbytery at the end of July, July thirty-first and August first. That we've done every two years for the last couple of years. There's going to be a powerful moment. It's one of the most powerful moments in our church every single time we do it. And so I'm trying to get us ready for that to receive what God wants to do. And so you go ahead and mark that on your calendar, July thirty-first. I think July thirtieth is a worship night, that Sunday night. Then Monday night and Tuesday night is prophetic presbytery. So with this series, you know I've, I've taught this different ways, different formats. I've taught it through the, the, tr- the form of an antenna and receiving signals, but with this day and age, it's more of streaming. You say, well, what is streaming? Well, at our house, we use Hulu Plus to stream uh, sports and movies and you know football games, basketball games, that kind of thing. Maybe you have YouTube Live or maybe you have Amazon Prime or something like that, but you have some type of platform that this corporation has all this data and information, whether it's video or audio or music or movies or whatever it may be, they have all this information. And they need to get that information from these corporate headquarters or these corporate data centers into your personal home. And so the way they get that is they transfer that information through encryption and through uh, digital means into your home where you have a modem or a router. And that router has a bandwidth. And that bandwidth is this. You may not know what it means. Bandwidth just means the, the width of the amount of information you can receive at one time. Right? So if you think about water, if you've got a hose pipe, that is a small bandwidth. If you have a four-inch gutter drain, that's a larger bandwidth. If you have the Tennessee River, that's a larger bandwidth. More water can go through. Here's the principle in the kingdom of heaven. Every single believer has spiritual bandwidth to receive information from the throne room of God. Every single believer has bandwidth where there's a corporate headquarters in heaven that wants to get information to you, video to you, audio to you, information to you, into your personal home. But it takes bandwidth to receive it, and you as a believer have spiritual bandwidth. Now, there's different bandwidths. Maybe you've you've heard God before, but you don't really have to discern it. you got a small bandwidth. Maybe you're prophetic. You have larger bandwidth, but you have spiritual bandwidth. And what's incredible is that every single believer, what makes us different than the rest of the world, is not our politics, not if you're conservative or progressive or liberal. It's not even your doctrine that makes you a believer. What makes the difference between a believer and a non-believer is this. You have a personal relationship with God himself. That's what makes the difference. Not that you believe in a God. A lot of people believe in a God. A lot of people say they believe in God, but that doesn't make you a believer. What makes you a believer is that you have trusted Jesus. You've heard the voice of God, you responded to the voice of God, you obeyed the voice of God, and you begin following God from here all the way to eternity. And so the difference between us and non believers is the voice of God, being able to hear God, but also the presence of God that marks us as His, which all come through the blood of Jesus. Oswald Chambers said it this way He describes a Christian as those who have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, whereby their disposition has been altered. And their ears unstopped and they hear the still small voice of God. That is what a Christian, a Christian is somebody who now has a personal relationship through the blood of Jesus that now in that relationship can hear God's voice so they can become more like him and follow him. And so in John chapter 10 verse 27 I want you to see this. This is the scripture we're sitting on today after hearing all of John 10. Jesus says this he says my sheep Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28 says, And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, this is Jesus using this, this teaching of a sheep and shepherd to describe us and him and this relationship we have. And the, the main concept is this He says, My sheep, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice and they follow my voice. And what's interesting is depending on your, your church background, you think, well, yeah, he, he's talking about the word of God there. Right? Like his sheep, you know, they know the Bible, they know the word, you know, they, they follow the word. No, no. He literally says hear, And that word is akustos which means something audible, acoustics, acoustic guitar, acoustical treatment, acoustics, meaning you hear something audibly or you hear something through sound waves that you hear something. And that word voice is, is a personal hearing, meaning that you hear his voice. So I'm hearing his voice. God, Jesus is the word incarnate, but he says, then they, they know. That word know is, is pivotal that word know is not knowledge like you know the Bible or you know who Nick Saban is or you know trivia. Our family, the girls and RJ now in trivia crack. I'm still undefeated in our household in trivia crack. Thank God for poor education because I'm still winning. This word know means to know something from a personal experience in relationship. This isn't study. This isn't doctrine. This isn't seminary this isn't small group discussion this is a personal experience where God gets to know you and you get to know God through the voice of Jesus and through that it builds trust so that you will follow him which is the same word for disciple I mean you come alongside behind of him to follow him why would I follow him because I trust him Well, why do I trust him because I've heard his voice And so the problem with us as believers is we think, well, if I hear God, then I know God, then I follow God, then I'll be a sheep. No, you start being a sheep. The byproduct of being a sheep is you get to hear his voice. The byproduct of being a sheep is you get to know God. The byproduct of being a sheep is you get to follow him. And then the reward is this. Then he will give you eternal life. How do I get to eternal life? I hear his voice, I know his voice, I trust him, and I follow him. And as I follow him, he leads me into eternal life. He leads me into blessings. John 10, he leads me to the abundant life, but it all comes through following his voice. One of the, the downfalls of the Reformation, the Reformation had many great things, but one of the downfalls of the Reformation was we moved from experiencing God to reading about God. We moved the word of God to the forefront of the relationship with God, which which was needed, but we overswung it to now we have people that idolize the Bible at the expense of the presence of God. Or there's so much in the study they become modern day Pharisees, where they know the Word but they don't know the Word incarnate. They know the Scriptures but they don't know Him personally. Therefore, they don't follow him, they follow doctrines. And Jesus did not say, go into all the world and follow some doctrines. He said, go into all the world and make disciples that look like me. See, hearing God is not some supernatural form of Christianity. It's not, you know, know, that's that charismatic talk for hearing God. No, hearing God is not some supernatural form of Christianity. It is entry-level Christianity 101. It is one-on-one. It is not something that you have to, it's some spiritual gift. It is one-on-one. And this is the key. You can hear God's voice, and you should expect to hear his voice. You should expect God to talk to you. You should expect to hear his voice. You should know God's voice. You should trust his voice. Why? Because the easiest thing in the world to do for a believer is to hear God's voice. say, well, how is that? Because you don't enter the kingdom of heaven you don't get saved unless you hear his voice. Raise your hand if you say you're a believer. You've been saved, you've been set apart. Raise your hand. Pretty much most of the people in this room, you've already heard God's voice. When you said yes to Jesus because his voice was convicting you of sin or calling you into salvation or speaking something to your life and you responded to that voice Therefore, you started your Christian walk with hearing God's voice. And you maintained that walk through hearing his voice. You walked into the blessings and to his will by hearing his voice. That it is 101. Lauren Cunningham said it this way, hearing God is not that difficult at all. If we know the Lord, we have already heard his voice. After all, it was the inner leading that brought us to him in the first place. But we can hear his voice and still miss his best if we don't keep on listening. After the what of guidance comes the when and the how of the personal relationship with Jesus. That that relationship is built on the word that gives us the riverbanks or the boundaries of his voice. But then the prayer where we soak in his voice. We get our instructions. We get our affirmation. We get our identity. We get our trust. Dallas Willard said it this way: If God doesn't speak today, then we then the greatest disservice we could ever do to people is to tell them they can have a personal relationship with God. It is impossible to have a personal relationship with a book. It's impossible to have a personal relationship with a church service. It's impossible to have a personal relationship with God through other people. You have a personal relationship with God. If you could not, then he would not be speaking to you. And he speaks because he's trying to build a personal relationship. Therefore, you can hear God. Now, the problem with hearing God is most of us, how many of y'all were brought up on hand-me-downs? Raise your hand. You all you rich people sitting there with your hands down, judging all of us. Like, we were dirt poor. We had hand-me-down shoes. We had hand-me-down pants. Like, they didn't fit. We had hand-me-downs. And so the problem with hand-me-downs is you're always wanting something more. You're always kind of dissatisfied, but you're getting what's left over from somebody else. Like, for me, it's my older cousin. I got whatever he was left over. The problem with that was I was a a basketball, baseball, football guy. My older cousin was a Star Wars and horror movie guy. I just want a Michael Jordan t-shirt, but no, I'm wearing Star Wars Return of the Jedi t-shirts. But I was wanting something more. And so with hand-me-downs, it's something you're given, but it's not actually yours. And the problem with Christianity is the majority of believers are living in hand-me-down Christianity. You haven't encountered the voice of God for yourself. You're just taking whatever somebody else gives you and you're dissatisfied with what you have and it should create a hunger for something more. And that hunger for something more shouldn't be a form of religion with no power. It should be hunger for the personal relationship with my creator who can speak life over me and my identity in me and give me the blessings. He said in John 10:10, I have come not to steal, kill, and destroy like the enemy. I've come to give you life and give you more abundant life. That is not hand-me-downs. And to be real honest, the reason majority of churches don't teach that you can hear the voice of God is because the leadership is arrogant, and they think they're the only ones that can hear God. And if God's going to speak to you, he'll speak through that person for you, which is nothing more than Old Testament legalism to control you. Secondly, they know the moment you can hear God's voice for yourself, it unleashes you into your purpose and destiny, and now they can no longer use you for their own purpose and destiny. Which is exactly what John 10.10 was talking about. He said, there's strange voices out there, but they're just hirelings. They do this for money. And so when you understand that God can speak to you, yes, there's confirmation through spiritual authority and all those things, but you can hear God's voice, and when you hear it, it unlocks things in you that you didn't even know were there. It unlocks your spiritual identity. It unlocks your purpose and your identity. It unlocks some things, and so you need to have this holy dissatisfaction With hand-me-down Christianity. And then it creates a hunger in you to desire to hear God's voice. Because this is is the principle. God doesn't speak to you because you're special. God's not trying to speak to you because you're prophetic or you have some spiritual gifting. God speaks because it's his nature to speak. Like, it's not some... Pentecostal charismatic doctrine that you know we think God's no, it's his nature. When you read the Bible from beginning, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God is speaking. Like, he never stopped speaking. You just go through the Bible. He spoke creation into place. He talked. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke with Noah. He spoke with Abraham. He spoke with Joseph. He spoke with Moses. He spoke with Samuel. He spoke to Gideon in the winepress. He spoke to David. He spoke to Solomon. He spoke to Jeremiah. He spoke to Daniel. Daniel, he said, then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. He spoke to Jonah, even though Jonah was rebelling and running away from him. God spoke to the Old Testament prophets and kings and leaders, even though there was still a separation between the Holy Spirit and them because of sin. Then you get the New Testament, he spoke to Mary, spoke to Peter, spoke to Paul, spoke to John. He spoke to Cornelius, who was a non-Jew and wasn't an apostle, in Acts chapter 10. Then he spoke to Ananias, who was not an apostle as well in Acts chapter 9. And so the question would be, if he spoke before the Old Testament, if he spoke in the Old Testament, if he spoke in the New Testament, does he still speak today? Because some would tell you, you no, know, once the Bible came, God stopped speaking. So all of a sudden we get the Bible, even though we had the, the Pentateuch and the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, now we get the New Testament Bible. Now God's nature changed. Like, like his nature—if it's his nature to speak, and everything he does is by his voice, whether it's creation or salvation or calling people out of sin or deliverance, even with Egypt, he said, "Let my people go." Like he speaks; it's his nature to speak. Why? He's not some force. He's a personal God. And so, why all of a sudden would his nature change? And this is the way I look at it. In the in creation, God spoke. In the Old Testament, God spoke. In the New Testament, God spoke. And we know in all of eternity, God speaks. But in the day we live, all of a sudden God doesn't speak, He just gives us a book. That doesn't seem too personal to me. That's not gonna my kids say, hey, you know, I love you, but I'm going to have a personal relationship with you. I'm just going to give you a book about my life, and then you can just go and live. I'm not showing up any ball games. I'm not giving you any money. I'm not helping you out. You just go do you. That's not personal. And so how come we buy into this lie that all of a sudden this day and age is different? So what you're telling me is in the Old Testament, there was sin that kept people from accessing God. In the New Testament, Jesus shows up on earth, walks and talks and speaks to everybody. And then the blood is poured out, poured out to cleanse us and make us holy and give us access to God. But now the blood's poured out, the revelation of God decreases to just a book. No, when the blood is poured out, it increases the revelation of God because your access increases. Yes, we love the Bible. The Bible is the foundation. It's the correction. It's the the protection of God's voice. But Jesus did not die for you to read a book. He died for you to have a personal relationship with him. And that personal relationship comes through this word, which is one of the ways he speaks, but also through his inner voice as his children. As it said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. The question, for those who don't believe God still speaks, is why did God's nature change? And if his nature didn't change, what is he saying and speaking to you? I'm going to give you three quick points. One is this out of this John 10. We can hear God's voice because we are sheep. Touch your neighbor and say, you are sheep. You know, one of the funny things in the last election was people were saying, oh, you know, they're just treating us like sheeple. Yes, you're a sheep. Like, like, you're not the shepherd. We are sheep. The Bible uses the word sheep to define us and describe us more than any other word in Scripture. You are a sheep. Now, you may not like that, may think it's condescending, but at least we have a good shepherd. Meaning, hearing God's voice is not a question of ability. Hearing God's voice is not a question of gifting. Hearing God's voice is not a question of spiritual power. Hearing God's voice is a principle of identity. It's a principle of identity, meaning whose you are and who you are is determining how God speaks to you. Meaning hearing God's voice is not something we do, rather it's about who we are are. Hearing God is not primarily a behavior. It's a reflection of our identity. We hear God because of who we are and whose we are. But you hear God's voice because you're a shepherd or you're a sheep and he's your shepherd. It's that simple. And this whole John 10, 10 scripture or John 10 scripture, this chapter is literally Jesus re- trying to nail down this concept of him saying, listen, you're sheep. I get it. Sometimes you get anxious. Sometimes you get scared. Sometimes you get worried. Sometimes you get lost. Sometimes you get hungry. Sometimes you get scattered. Sometimes I get it. You're sheep. And we all have gone through anxious moments, anxious seasons. We've all been felt like sheep at some point. We feel gathered into one big box. But he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And this shepherd that I am, my sheep hear my voice. And they know me, and I know them, and they follow my voice, and I lead them to better places. I take care of my sheep. And he goes through this whole story about being a door, which is a really interesting concept. Like, you know, Jesus, you're describing yourself as a door. Like, that's not the most supernatural, spiritual, charismatic, ecstatic thing I've ever heard. Like, oh, my God's a door. You know, sing songs about my God's the rock. My God's the refuge. My God is a healer. You don't hear many worship songs about, my God is the door. There's not a whole lot of sexiness with that. But that's the whole point of John 10. He's saying, I'm the door. What he's saying is, if you know New Testament culture, is these shepherds, shepherding was probably one of the primary careers. And they would carry their sheep or or move their sheep through the deserts throughout the day. And then at night, they'd find a sheepfold. Now, these shepherds would have up to 100 sheep at a time, and they'd have to place their their sheep in a sheepfold to protect them for the night. And actually, before I forget, there's a picture of one right there. Now, some were big, some were small, some had thorns around them. And there'd be up to 10 shepherds that would place their sheep in one sheepfold each night. So you may have 1,000 sheep in this one sheepfold from 10 different shepherds. And then it would. nine of those shepherds would go back into the village or the city to sleep in an inn or sleep somewhere and eat and have fun for the night. And one shepherd, they called the porter would stay behind and he would lay against the opening of the sheepfold. And he would lay against the opening to protect the sheep from any predators, any false shepherds, anybody trying to steal the sheep, any predators trying to kill or eat the sheep, and to prevent the sheep from getting out and escaping into the wilderness. And so Jesus says... I am this door, meaning he is laying down to protect his sheep to the extent he's going to lay down his life. Then he says, not all shepherds would do this. Some are hirelings. that is, They may lay there, but as soon as trouble comes, they take off and leave. He says, some may be false shepherds. They want to come in and steal the sheep and take them in a different direction. He says, but I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. The enemy doesn't take it. I lay my life down for them on my own authority. And so this, this porter, this Jesus would lay down at this sheepfold all night long. The next morning, the other nine shepherds may come back. and As they come back, this shepherd would judge the other nine to make sure they were true shepherds. He would make sure they weren't trying to steal the sheep, they were actually their sheep. And the way they would do that is either they'd stand on the outside of the sheepfold or they'd walk in, if he let them, And he would have them call out their sheep by name. And as they began to call out their sheep, only that shepherd's sheep would respond to that shepherd. And they begin to follow them out of that sheepfold. Only the sheep that belonged to that shepherd. The other 90% of sheep would stay where they're at because that's not their shepherd. And Jesus would judge them. The next one would come until all the sheep were gone. And they could actually lead them out two by two, four by four in circles or in squares based on how they called them. And so Jesus is saying this to us in John chapter 10, that he is the door. No one, no one, absolutely no one gets to the sheep unless they come through the door. He's also saying no one gets into a sheepfold unless they come through him. You can't just say you want to be a follower of Jesus. You have to go through Jesus. You have to go through the blood. You have to go through the body. You have to go through the cross. No one can just say, oh, I'm a believer. In this day and age, we have a whole lot of people who claim they're Christians, but they never went through the door. Jesus even says in in chapter 10, he says, they may come through a back way or over the wall or through a window. He says they come in, they're thieves, trying to what? Rob Jesus of his real glory. Trying to rob the kingdom of heaven for its true inheritance. He is the door. No one gets in unless they go through the door. Then he says this. He says, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to make sure they're true shepherds. As he does, he begins to call his own sheep out by name. I think this is powerful. Many, many people will say, commentators, theologians will say that the first voice a sheep hears when it's born is its shepherd's voice. At that moment, the shepherd will give that sheep a name. And he'll use that name continually and repeatedly For that particular sheep, its entire life. Which is profound to me that that shepherd had a name in mind for that sheep before it was even born. And when that sheep was born, he automatically places the name and the identity upon that sheep. And begins to call that sheep by name for the moment it is absolutely born. So when they're walking and that sheep begins to wander off, he'll call it that name. Brian, you little dumb sheep, come here. And it'll wander back. Starts wandering off. There's a wolf of Brian come, and he'll keep calling. He calls the sheep by name. When he goes in the sheepfold, he may say, Bobby, Toya, Brian, Marissa, Anthony, and those particular sheep will follow him out because they know his voice. One person in the Middle East said, I don't think the sheep actually know their voice. I think they just know the, the, the what they the, the shepherd looks like. So he actually did a, a study. Shepherd walks in, walks in the sheepfold, calls the sheep by name, walks out. They follow him right out. The guy says, now let me try. Give me your clothes. He takes the clothes off the true shepherd. He puts them on himself. He walks in, says the exact same names, but the sheep don't move a bit. Why? Sheep are not identified by the visual. They're identified by the voice. And so we don't live by sight. We live by We follow his voice. We don't follow what we see. And so the shepherd is speaking now that just follow my voice. So inside of you, you have the ability because you're a sheep to hear his voice. It's in you. That bandwidth is in you. But you can also learn to hear his voice better and more clearly by identifying his voice above the other voices. And then maturity, you can mature in how you hear God's voice. Maturity is what you do when you hear his voice. How do you handle his voice? Do you repent and obey? Do you follow or do you sit back? You can mature in all of those, but you need to know you hear God's voice because you're a sheep. But secondly, secondly is this. You hear God's voice and it's personal and reveals your true identity. God's voice is personal. Each sheep had a name. Each sheep had a personal relationship with the shepherd. Yes, there was a flock, but each sheep was individualized and had their own name with him. In John 10:3, says this to him the gatekeeper opens, so about Jesus. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. This is the personal side. There's a corporate side to follow Jesus, but this is the personal side that every single believer has a personal relationship and personal access to the shepherd, that he knows you inside and out. He knows your ups. He knows your downs. He knows your fears. He knows your pride. He knows your sin. He knows your shame. He knows your failures. He knows your mistakes. He knows you, and he gives you a chance to know him. And I love the fact that he calls them by name because we live in a world that wants to strip you of your personal identity. And put you into a group. Like, we are really honest. Like, most politicians don't care about you as a Christian, they care about Christians as a voting block. Most people don't care about you for your race, they just want to put you in a voting block. They don't care about personal identities because there's no value to them for your personal identity. They want to lump you into some, strip you of your personal identity and give you a group identity and give you group think. It's exactly what they did in the Holocaust. They stripped all the Jews of their name and gave them a number. Same thing in prison. They strip them of their name and they give them a number. Listen, the enemy is at work and he is stripping Christians of their name and giving them a number. What do you think the mark of the B666 is? It's a number to strip you of your personal identity. And we live in a culture where we allow people to strip us of our personal spiritual identity and place another identity on us. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I call my sheep by name. And when I call them by name, I lead them out. When he calls you by name, he doesn't leave you where you are. He takes you somewhere new. Because your name is a prophetic declaration of your spiritual destiny. And so he calls them out by name. Now the problem with that is God affirms your true identity, not your cultural identity. God affirms who you are in Christ. He doesn't affirm who you are in the flesh. God affirms who you can be in him, not who you have been in the world. See, the world will call you by your shame, but Jesus calls you by your name. The world calls you by your sin. He calls you by your destiny. There is a mightily big difference. But we have people who are trying to affirm people in the flesh instead of their spiritual identity. See, Moses, Moses encounters God at the burning bush. God calls Moses by name. He doesn't say, oh, you failure, you murder, you, mis- you, you did all this, you run away, you fugitive, you convict. He doesn't call him by his shame. He calls him by his name. Get in. he finds him in the wine press. He doesn't call him by, you sissy, you coward. He says, no, you mighty, valiant warrior of God. But we have an entire generation of this culture that we're affirming people in their flesh. God will never affirm people as a homosexual. He'll never affirm people as an alcoholic. He'll never affirm people as a murderer. He only affirms you into your destiny in Christ. And so anything that speaks to the flesh is of the devil. Romans 8 says it. Galatians says it. That to live with the flesh is death. But to live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit is life. So why is this political, and cultural phenomenon happening. It's because believers have stopped listening to the voice of God and started listening to the voice of the flesh. And the voice of the flesh will affirm you in your brokenness. It will affirm you in your church hurt. It will affirm you in your sexuality. It will affirm you in your pain. It will affirm you in your shame. It will affirm you in your anxiety. It will affirm you in your depression. It will affirm you in your adultery. It will affirm you in everything you have. The flesh will always affirm itself but when God speaks, he speaks to crucify the flesh and to resurrect the new spirit he gave you. It's powerful that only the voice of God does that. And what's sad is we have believers who would rather echo the voice of Satan than echo the voice of heaven. And what's amazing, he says this, he says, the sheep Hear his voice, He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. God calls you up and then calls you out. The Satan will call you down and call you in your shame. He calls people up so he can call them out. The problem with this culture is no one wants to be called out. Everyone wants to be called yeah, I love when Jesus speaks affirmations. I love it. grace and love and all this stuff. but God will give you grace to talk about communion. God gives you grace to call you up so he can call you out of your sin. He doesn't give you grace so you can stay in your sin. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out of their sin, leads them out of their flesh, leads them out of adultery, leads them out of oppression, leads them out of addiction, leads them out of homosexuality. Why? Grace goes first that he draws you into your true identity. That's why the voice of God is so powerful. Teaching your young people to hear God's voice instead of echoing the voices that are around them, is one of the most powerful, liberating things you could ever do. Having the word in you is great. Like they need the word that seed in them. But they need to be able to sit at the feet of Jesus in prayer and hear, just like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, so we can speak his true identity into them. So you can echo the words of heaven over their lives and bring them into Freedom. But the last one, number three, is this. God's voice leads us to eternal life and victorious living. When you're truly following God's voice, it leads to eternity, but it also leads to victorious living. You're an overcomer. Not just by being a Christian, you're an overcomer because you're following his voice around temptation. You're following his voice over the enemy. You're following his voice. Where his voice goes, it always leads to victory. It's powerful. He says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He's talking about who are you following. When you follow his voice, it leads you. And spiritual maturity to me is this. Spiritual maturity is not hearing God's voice. Spiritual maturity is obeying God's voice. See, your victory doesn't come from hearing God's voice. It doesn't come from knowing God's word. Your victory comes from obeying and following God's voice in his word. And when you do that, it brings the victory, and you walk in God's will. And so to demonstrate it, I've got got an illustration of my trial. If this fails, it was Pastor Anthony's fault from last week. Let me see here. Kayla, stand up for me. Everybody say hi to Kayla. Kayla. Put this blindfold on. And here's what we're going to do. Can you see me? Perfect. I just want you to hear my voice and follow my voice and do what I say. Okay? Hear my voice, follow my voice, and do what I say. Turn to your left. Good job. That's the left. To left. <laughs> now take three steps forward. One more step. All right. Now take four big steps forward. See a bag. Take one step forward. Now I want you to take one big step over something forward. <laughs> one high step forward. There you go. Now your other foot. Good job. It takes two feet to step. One more time. One step forward over something. Over, girl. Put your hands down. Trust me. Don't, don't stop right there. Take two steps forward. All right, now I want you to squat down like you're about to sit. Keep going. No, on, You sit on your rear, not your hands. On your rear. What are you doing? All right, I've got my hand up. Grab my hand. you got to trust me. Squat down like you're sitting on your rear. Sit down. You're good. Sit down. Sit down. Okay, sit down. Just sit. There you go. Okay. You didn't trust the voice. See, you need to realize many times we want God to set something up before we move. We want God to put something in place before we actually trust him to step out. And what I was trying to help her understand, if you just trust my voice, you may feel like you're about to sit down and fall, but he's setting stuff up. God sets stuff up as you trust him. As you trust his voice, it may feel like, I'm not done, girl. (laughs) Put that blindfold back on. We're still going. So many of us, we want God to set something up, then we'll say, I'll trust you. God says, no, you go, and then I'll set it up. As you trust my voice, then I can trust you to actually depend and walk my faith. All right, now you can stand up. Stand up. Take three big steps forward. Two more. All right, now take a step up a step. Now get out. Make sure you don't fall. One step. Turn to your right just a little bit. Right. One more step. One more step. Now turn to your left. Down. Right there. Four steps forward. Come this way. Come this way right there. You're good. Right there. Now turn to your left just a little bit. Alright, leave your blindfold on, oh, don't cheat. Now do you know where you're at? Where are you at? On the stage. Let me get the right. You're on the stage. Do you know how you got there? Listening to your voice. And trusting the voice. Yes. Alright, stay there. <laughs> Take one sidestep to the left. Take one sidestep to the right. Take one step forward. Now whose voice are you listening to? A stranger's voice. As soon as you start hearing God's voice, strangers' voices will come back. The moment you start trusting God's voice to step forward, the enemy will start trying to confuse you and get you taking steps backwards. When Jesus says, my sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow me, he goes on in chapter 10 to say, there are stranger voices, they don't listen to strangers' voices. And and here's the principle, Most of us in this room have heard God's voice, but you begin to trust the enemy's voices and the voices of strangers more than the voices of God. And they lead you into places that may be comfortable, but may not be your best for you. God will lead you in places that may seem uncomfortable, but they're better than where you used to be. And when you begin to trust God's voice, he leads you, but you have to begin to trust his voice more than the other voices. That's why understanding and discerning, the enemy's voice, my own voice, other people's voices compared to God's voice is so pivotal. And so when you do that, raise your right hand. Raise your left hand. Raise your right hand. So why would you move in that time? That again. Why did you not move those three times? I don't know that voice. Amen. If you don't know the voice, you shouldn't listen to it. See, the, God's voice, the shepherd's voice is innate in you. It's inside of you. And so when you hear his voice, it should confirm something in you that you desire, you need. But when you don't know the voice, too many people are following voices they don't even know. And if you don't know the voice, it's not created for you to follow. And so being able to discern, because when you follow his voice, it says he will lead them out. But it says in in, uh, verse 28, it says, and he will give them eternal life. And they will not perish, and no one can snatch them out of his hands. When you follow his voice, he always leads you into blessing. When you follow his voice, it always leads you into promises. When you follow his voice, it always leads you into goodness. It never leads you backwards. But the enemy will always take you through cycles. Cycles of sin, cycles of shame, cycles of fear, cycles of anxiety. But he sets you free with his truth And with his voice. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second.